Well, good morning, Potter's House people. Uh, it's Pastor Adam here back with you again. Uh, sorry for being late this morning, uh, but late is better than never. And uh, the reason was uh, I was waiting for this guy to brew right here. <laughs> so we can't have Bible and brew without the brew, of course. And so uh, today is a beautiful Wednesday. Good morning, Mr. Dave. Good morning, Amanda. Thanks for joining us again. And uh, as we are getting started here, just want to uh, show my great appreciation. Uh, we, as a church, we had an, a, a great meeting last night. Good morning, Andre. Caitlin, thanks for joining us. Uh, we had a great meeting last night, uh, discussion, uh, topic of uh, racial injustice in America and various things that are affecting the church today, and uh, I hope it was helpful for everybody. I know it was eye-opening for some, including myself. So uh, we're really appreciative of that. Uh, Coletta, thank you for joining us this morning on Bible and Brew. We want to welcome you all back. Uh, wow. Uh, we have immediate uh, joiners. <laughs> Usually it takes a while for everybody to jump on, but it looks like you all were waiting for me. So that's, uh, that's nice. That's encouraging. So glory to God. Uh, we are going to jump back into the Word of God today as we go back to our Bible reading plan. If you would like to join our Bible reading plan, I've got the link here programmed in to Facebook, and uh, so you can join us there. Um, it is a Bible app, uh, version, and uh, when you tap on that link, it allows you to subscribe so that you don't have to wait for Bible and Brew every morning to figure out what you're reading. So uh, go ahead and download that Bible app. It's uh, very, very helpful. All right, so uh, today we're going back to 1 Kings uh, so if you remember yesterday in 1 Kings chapter 18, uh, it was a story of Elijah on top of Mount Carmel. It was the showdown between him and the prophets of Baal. And of course, uh, our, it wasn't that Elijah won. It was that our God won the showdown. And, uh, and so now we get to deal with some of the fallout of, of that uh, uh, victory of God and defeat of uh, those enemy forces. So, um, remember now that at the end of chapter 18 that uh, Elijah proclaims that the drought would be ending. And so he is running uh, because of the, the heavy rain that's coming. So that's where we pick this up now in 1 Kings chapter 19. And let's see what happens next. This is a beautiful chapter also about a relationship between God and his prophet. And uh, this can be very helpful for us. So uh, 1 Kings 19, verse 1. And Ahab told Jezebel all that Elijah had done, also how he had executed all the prophets with the sword. Uh, Jezebel did not like this. Jezebel was a big fan of the prophets of Baal uh, because she's the one who introduced the false religion to the people uh, of Israel. Jezebel sent a message to Elijah saying, So let the gods do to me, and more also, if I do not make your life as the life of one of them by tomorrow about this time. And when he saw that, he arose and ran for his life and went to Beersheba, 
which belongs to Judah, and left his servant there. Okay, a couple of things already we need to take note of. Uh, number one, wasn't it just one chapter ago that uh, Elijah was standing strong on top of the mountain, calling upon God and calling down fire with faith? And uh, it seems like you turn the chapter, or you turn the page here, and all of a sudden, Elijah's running away from a confrontation. It almost doesn't even seem like the same person. Isn't that strange? Uh, well, isn't it also true in our lives that you know we can vary from one day to the next uh, based on how our emotions are uh, treating us? Emotions are a funny thing. You know, it would be a terrible thing to live life without emotions, like uh, you know, like uh, like Spock from the Star Trek or something. Uh, to be, you know, God did not make us to be these mechanical creatures that never feel things. Uh, so emotions can be a great blessing that we we feel the the passions of life uh, to a greater degree. But at the same time, our emotions can lead us astray. How many have? Uh, experience that, that your emotions can lead you to a place that you don't want to go. And that's now what's happening with Elijah. He's allowing his fear of Jezebel uh, to turn him into a different person. And that's not helpful. The second thing I want you to notice here is the spirit of Jezebel. The spirit of Jezebel um, is, is a strong demonic spirit. And I'm not saying that Every woman, of course, has a spirit of Jezebel. No, this is, uh, this is the spirit of Jezebel is the spirit of intimidation. It's the spirit of manipulation. And uh, that spirit of Jezebel does not only exist in powerful women like Je Jezebel. No, it can be something that takes over uh, any person, uh, can, be, uh, can possess any group of individuals. And it is the, the spirit of um, uh, making demands, threats, manipulation. And, uh, and that spirit is, uh, is truly one that targets spiritual leadership. And we have to be aware of that also. Verse 3. When he saw that, again, he ran for his life and went to Beersheba and left his servant there. Why? Why did he leave his servant? Why did he abandon the one that he was training? And so again, this is a fallout. We don't blame everything on Jezebel here, but we recognize that, uh, that Jezebel had a profound impact on Elijah. All of a sudden, he's running for the hills, and he's leaving behind the one whom he's, he's training. Uh, both of these are very out of character for Elijah, aren't they? So uh, how many understand that God never intends us to be isolated in fear. This is not a good situation for Elijah. Verse 4, But he, he went a day's journey into the wilderness, came and sat down under a broom tree, and he prayed that he might die, and said, It is enough now, Lord, take my life, for I am no better than my father's. All right, so can you feel the self-pity here? Um, the prophet Elijah now is, is echoing um, the sad, sad words of, you know, of others who felt sorry for themselves. See, this, this mental state of anguish is really uh, a destructive place. Um, you don't have to raise your hand, but have you ever felt sorry for yourself? Have you ever felt the spirit of self-pity? 
um, saying, yeah, you know, maybe it's better if I just die. It is enough now, Lord. Take my life. I'm no better than my father's. And you know what? There's a there's a there's a a nugget of truth there, right? And it's it's easy for us to look back at others who've gone before and you know lionize people in our eyes and say, "Wow, everyone else is so much better than me." And um, the truth is, though, that everybody has flaws, right? That's that's why I love this story of Elijah. That even the great prophet had uh, had incredible problems. So uh, had some mental anguish, had uh, feelings of doubt, self-doubt, and self-pity. So there, uh, verse 5, as he lay and slept under the broom tree, suddenly an angel touched him and said to him, arise and eat. You know, it's it's a good idea uh, to maintain physical health in times of... uh, in times of mental anguish, uh, it's, it's a good thing to take care of the body, not to neglect the needs of the body. And let me just say the needs, not the wants. We live in a culture that uh, that says that you know uh, that we should give into every want of the body, but uh, necessarily about the needs of the body. So, verse six. Then he looked, and there by his head was a cake baked on coals and a jar of water, angel food. So he ate and drank and lay down again. And the angel of the Lord came back a second time and touched him and said, Arise and eat. The journey is too great for you. So he arose, ate and drank, went in the strength of that food for 40 days. And uh, 40 nights as far as Horeb. So 40. 40 days, 40 nights. Of course, this is a, this is a symbolic uh, amount of time in the Bible. This is, um, this is the sign of a testing. Um, right? So just like the, the, the flood, there was rain falling for 40 days and 40 nights, just like Jesus was in the wilderness for 40 days and 40 nights. Uh, the, the number 40 in the Hebrew, it's, is a, uh, it's a symbolic of the idea of testing or trying or suffering. Um, and it's, uh, it's also not an accident. I believe that the time of uh, labor pains or the, um, the gestation period for human beings is about 40 weeks. Isn't that interesting? That's the normal time that the baby is in the, in the mother's womb, about 40 weeks. It's a time of testing and trial and tribulation. Verse 9, there he went into a cave and spent the night in that place. And behold, the word of the Lord came to him and said to him, What are you doing here, Elijah? All right, so... Um, Something interesting about the Bible, uh, something I learned from my rabbi. Good morning, Denise. Well, thanks for joining us uh, wherever you are in the world. And, uh, and so something interesting about the Bible is, is something that has to do with caves. There is a connection between caves and revelation. Uh, and so I, I learned this from Rabbi Daniel Lappin, very interesting insight is that wherever you see uh, in the Old Testament, you see caves, you will also see a spirit of God revealing himself, which is really interesting that people go into caves and when they come out, they're different. And so this is definitely one of those examples. God spoke to Elijah in a cave. Now, what I love about God in in this story is that God doesn't come out swinging. 
God is gentle. The Spirit of God is gentle with Elijah. He doesn't come out saying, you idiot, why are you cowering in fear, running from this wicked woman? What's wrong with you, Elijah? No. The question was simply, what are you doing here? Right? There's a spirit of gentleness and long-suffering there. Uh, let me just remind you that, um, that God is not uh, like all of our preconceived notions. If God was like us, he wouldn't be God, right? He's beyond our ability to comprehend and understand. Uh, Elijah answers God, verse 10. He says, I've been very zealous for the Lord God of hosts. This is his now, his mentality. We get a little glimpse into what he's been thinking. He says, I've been very zealous for the Lord God of hosts. For the children of Israel have forsaken your covenant, torn down your altars, and killed your prophets with the sword. I alone am left. And they seek to take my life. All right, so a couple of things here about Elijah's state of mind. It's important for us to know this. Listen, the battle between heaven and hell is happening in your mind. It's happening right in, in the middle between your ears. The, the mind is the battlefield between heaven and hell. And we can see the battle raging here in Elijah's mind, in his thought life. So number one, he's, he's telling himself how zealous he is. He's telling himself uh, all of the sacrifices that he's made for God. Now this is really easy to do, isn't it? This is really easy to think back and say, man, my life needs to be better. Look at all the things I've given up to serve God. Look at all of the, the friendships that I lost because I was, look at all the jobs that I didn't get or that, uh, that I couldn't take because uh, it meant that I would have work on Saturday. You know, we think about the, uh, the, the, the sacrifices, right? And what does that lead to? Oftentimes, that leads to this feeling of pity. Oh, woe is me. Play our violin, uh, our own sad story, right? Um, so what, what else do we see? In this statement, for the children of Israel have forsaken your covenant and torn down your altars. So he's saying, um, he's saying that I am trying to serve you, God, in the midst of a bunch of people that don't like you. Uh, I am alone in my service and my sacrifice. How many ever felt like that? Pastors feel like that all the time. Can I be open with you? Pastors feel like uh, that, that they're carrying the burden. Um, and uh, very few people are helping them. Now, that's not true, but that's, that's the feeling. Uh, the truth is that every church must have a huge group of people supporting it behind the scenes. Uh, but like Elijah here, it's easy to look around and say, how come nobody else is doing anything? And he, uh, the, the crux of his, uh, his, his statement here, I alone am left. He's feeling isolated, he's feeling weak, he's feeling lonely, and really the problem is because he has departed from everyone else. He's the one who took off into the wilderness, right? It's not anybody else's fault. The reason he's alone is because he's isolated himself. Um, so take notice of yourself when you start to um, exit away from other people, when you start to back away from the fellowship of believers. You better be careful, beloved, when you start uh, backing away intentionally from the word, from the people of God, from the church, from leadership in your life. 
um, because it obviously will lead to a sense of isolation and feeling like nobody likes you. Have you ever run into isolated Christians? And they say, oh, the pastor, he, he doesn't like me. Or, oh, that one sister that she sat on the other side of the church because she don't like me. You know, and, and there is these thoughts that the devil, he, he, he lights them on fire. Um, because he knows that when we feel alone, we do strange things in our mind. But thank God for revelation. Thank God that he deals with us in the midst of the battle that rages in our minds. Verse 11. Then he said, Go out, stand on the mountain before the Lord. And behold, the Lord passed by. A great and strong wind tore into the mountains and broke the rocks in pieces before the Lord. But the Lord was not in the wind. And after the wind there was an earthquake. But the Lord was not in the earthquake. And after the earthquake a fire, but the Lord was not in the fire. And after the spire, there was a still, small voice. Maybe you know somebody that needs to hear this today. I want to ask you quickly, uh, before we continue to just share this, share the, the video, the, um, the commentary explanation. Uh, somebody you know that could uh, benefit from understanding these stories. Uh, could I ask you to do that right now and just uh, take a moment to share? Like, share, subscribe, comment, all of those things on this video and make sure you're following uh, the Potter's House uh, page. We appreciate that. So what, what happened when the Lord revealed himself? It's interesting that uh, the way that God chose to reveal himself, because certainly he could have um, revealed himself in all of these ways, in the wind, in the earthquake, in the fire. Uh, God is powerful enough to reveal himself in those ways. He had done it in those ways before. God revealed himself through a, a burning bush, right? Uh, many, many ways that God, had, uh, to Job, he revealed himself by uh, a whirlwind from heaven. Um, but that was not what was necessary here for Elijah. Hey, how you doing, Vishal? New friend that I made from Bangalore, India. Thanks for joining us today. We appreciate you being here. Um, what I love about God is that he is not one size fits all. In other words, he knows us well enough to respond to us in the right way that we that we need. See, Elijah here, he's seen the fire fall from heaven. He knows about God's power. What Elijah needs in this moment is not a, a sign, a showing of God's strength. He needs to know that God is small enough to meet him in the secret place. And so that's how God reveals himself, with a whisper. Um, a still, small voice. And I love, uh, uh, there's, a, there's a song, um, there's a song by, I'm going to forget the name of the artist, uh, Torrin Wells, uh, called Close. And the reason why God reveals himself in a whisper is because when someone whispers to you, you have to get closer. You have to get close to here. So when God begins to whisper to Elijah, God, uh, Elijah has to kind of lean in and hear a little bit more carefully. That speaks about relationship, doesn't it? Look what he does, verse 13. When Elijah heard it, he wrapped his face in his mantle and went out and stood in the entrance of the cave. Suddenly a voice came to him and said, What are you doing here, Elijah? And he said, I'm, uh, I've been very zealous. He repeats his spiel here. Because the children of Israel have forsaken your covenant, torn down, I alone am left, and they seek to take my life. 
So the Lord gave him some instructions here. Go return on your way to the wilderness of Damascus, and when you arrive, anoint Hazael as king over Syria. Also you shall anoint Jehu, son of Nimshi, as king over Israel. And Elisha, the son of Shaphat, of Abel Meolah, you shall anoint as prophet in your place. And it shall be that whoever escapes the sword of Hazael, Jehu will kill. Whoever escapes the word of Jehu, Elisha will kill. Yet I have reserved 7,000 in Israel, all whose knees have not bowed to Baal, and every mouth that has not kissed him. Okay, so uh, what to take away from this? Number one is that God gives us a job to do. Even when we don't feel like doing it, God commissions Elijah to go forward. Even in the midst of a deep depression, God says, you know, Elijah, I still have something I need you to do. I need you to go and perform these duties. He understands that there's, you know, that the kingdom of God is much bigger than one depressed prophet. He says, I've got to make sure that that this mantle is passed on to another generation. I've got to make sure. Uh, and the other thing that's interesting here is that is that God specifically responds to Elijah's um, his his assertion that he's the only one left. You're the I'm the only one who's doing anything for God. I'm the only one who's organizing the outreaches. I'm the only one arranging the chairs. I'm the only one scrubbing the toilets. Woe is me! And yet God comes to him and says, "No, <laughs> you're not the only one." I have, I have a remnant. God always has a remnant waiting in the wings. Look at verse 18. Once again, I have reserved 7,000 in, 7, in Israel whose knees have not bowed to Baal. All right, so he's informing, he's informing uh, Elijah that, Elijah, you are not alone. You might feel alone, but you are not alone. This is something that God's people need to need to understand so so powerfully is that you might feel alone and that's that is a reality the devil loves to make you feel isolated but you are never alone even if you are stranded on a desert island in the middle of nowhere can I tell you you're still not alone what the Bible says is that we are in the presence of the Holy Spirit right we, we, Jesus says, I will never leave you nor forsake you. If that's not enough for you, how about the cloud of witnesses that's spoken of in Hebrews? That they are looking down upon us and encouraging us and helping us and praying for us. Did you know that the saints who've gone before us, that your ancestors who are saved, that they are in heaven and they are looking down at your life praying for you? That's powerful to think about. So you are not alone. Even though you may feel alone, uh, you are never alone. There are still, there is still a remnant of people in every place where God is moving. All right, so this chapter closes out with uh, the powerful story of Elijah's call uh, uh, to Elisha to take up his mantle. And this is, uh, this is a portion of scripture that has been preached on many, many times, especially in our fellowship because of its uh, because of its symbolism. All right, so verse 19. So he departed from there, found Elisha, the son of Shaphat, who was plowing with 12 yoke of oxen before him, and he was with the 12th. And Elijah passed by him and threw his mantle on him. And he left the oxen, ran Elijah 
uh, ran after Elijah and said, Please let me kiss my father and my mother, and then I will follow you. And he said, Go back again, for what have I done to you? So Elisha turned back from him, took a yoke of oxen, slaughtered them, boiled their flesh using the oxen's equipment, and gave it to the people. And they ate. But then he arose and followed Elijah and became his servant. So just a couple of things quickly before we go to the book of Acts. So number one, uh, Elisha is a productive person. He is not sitting on the couch <laughs> waiting for somebody to, to come discover his great talents. This is something that's common throughout the Word of God, that, uh, that when God searches for a man, when God is looking for someone to anoint and to use powerfully, he will not look for those who are idle. He looks for men and women who are doing something already. Elisha is a successful businessman, we could say. A 12 yoke of oxen, that is, a, that is a serious production in those ancient times, especially after a great drought. How does, uh, how does Elisha find the water and the food to feed 12 yoke of oxen? How does he do that for three years? Well, the way that he does that is obviously that he had his house in order. He had his stuff together. He had uh, uh, stored up and saved up. Uh, a, a storage of food and water and necessary equipment to keep these oxen alive, plowing, working. Here's a guy that when Elijah passes by, he finds him literally out in the field plowing with these oxen. Uh, it's it's the equivalent today of a of a uh, corporate farming program, right? It's it's the equivalent of someone who has acres and acres of land producing, who's doing something, who's uh, helping his friends and neighbors. And this is the guy that God chooses. He doesn't choose uh, the beggar on the side of the road. And I'm not saying, of course, that God uh, can't speak to anybody. But I am saying that for for these special... Don't, don't think, beloved, that if you're going to serve God, you have to empty your life of everything. No, God will find you right where you are in the middle of what you're doing. Uh, I think about, you know, the conversion of, of Kanye West that happened uh, last year, right? So uh, we did a whole podcast episode on that, and, and our Vishal, who just joined our live stream, he, he reached out to me and said that he had listened to that episode. And uh, so it reminded me that, you know, here's a, here's a guy who's on, on top of the, the secular world, right? And he is the embodiment of pinnacle of success in the hip-hop industry. And yet God says, I can use that. <laughs> I, can, I can change that. I can, I can do a miracle. And that's exactly what happened. Uh, Kanye's latest album that came out was Jesus is King. And uh, so it's a great example. And here's Elisha. And he, um, what he does in order to follow Elijah is incredible. It's a great example for all of us. The Bible said that he took his yoke of oxen and slaughtered them boiled their flesh using the oxen's equipment. Okay, so what's important about that? No turning back. No turning back. You cannot undo. He has literally burned his bridges, as we say, right? So he cannot turn back to the old life, even if he wanted to. This is a picture of baptism in water. This is what the children of Israel did when they crossed through the Red Sea on dry ground, water on both sides, and then they get to the other side, 
and they turn around and look back at Egypt and the water closes in where they had just walked. And now, even if they want to return to Egypt, they can't. This is a, this is a one-way ticket into the will of God. So this is what so many people are refusing to do, right? This is because this requires faith. This is what so many people, they come to the church, they, they lift their hands, they even learn a few songs. But how many people truly make these life-changing commitments to the Word of God, to the Kingdom of God, to the destiny that God has before? And, and what it requires is to cut off. It's what Jesus, as he passes by, uh, Peter and and and, and uh, Andrew, and he says, uh, he says, lay down your nets, come and follow me. And the Bible says that's exactly what they did. They left the nets behind so that they could follow Jesus. What about you? Have you burned the oxen? Have you burned their equipment? Have you left the past in the past so that you can serve God? That is necessary still in 2020. If we're going to do something powerful for God, it's going to be because we see the value uh, in turning the tide and going forward into the will of God. All right, so what an amazing chapter, right? First Kings chapter 19, so full of powerful truth. Let's go to our next, uh, to our book of Acts reading for today, and that is Acts chapter 12. And I've been talking so much. And I haven't got any coffee yet. Acts chapter 12. And we're starting with verse 1. Alright, so now we get to meet uh, King Herod and all of the wicked things that he did. Uh, now about that time, Herod the king stretched out his hand to harass some from the church. He killed James, the brother of John, with the sword. Because he saw that it pleased the Jews, he proceeded further to seize Peter also. It was during the days of unleavened bread. So when he had arrested him, he put him in prison, delivered him to four squads of soldiers to keep him, intending to bring him before the people after Passover. So this is obviously now one year has passed since the crucifixion, the death, and the resurrection of Jesus, because that also happened during Passover time. All right, verse 5, Peter was therefore kept in prison, but constant prayer was offered to God for him by the church. Right, we're about to see the reason why we pray, why we open the church for prayer. I'm just going to throw that in, why we open the church for prayer one hour before the services, and why we expect that when you go to the prayer meeting that you actually pray. <laughs> Uh, so when Herod was about to bring him out, that night Peter was sleeping, bound with two chains between two soldiers, and the guards before the door were keeping the prison. Now behold, an angel of the Lord stood by him, and a light shone in the prison. He struck Peter on the side and raised him up, saying, Arise quickly, and his chains fell off his hands. The angel said to him, Gird yourself and tie on your sandals. So he did. He said to him, Put on your garment, follow me. So he went out and followed him and did not know what was done by the angel was real, but thought he was seeing a vision. So when they were past the first and second guard posts, they came to the iron gate that led to the city, which opened to them of its own accord. Open sesame. And, uh, and they went out, went down the street, and immediately the angel departed 
from him. And when Peter came to himself, he said, Now I know for certain the Lord has sent his angel and has delivered me from the hand of Herod and from all the expectation of the Jewish people. So when he had considered this, he came to the house of Mary, the mother of John, whose surname was Mark, where many gathered together praying. And as Peter knocked on the door of the gate, a girl named Rhoda came to answer. She recognized Peter's voice. Because of her gladness, she did not open the gate, but ran in and announced that Peter stood before the gate. Okay, a couple of quick things here. This, this will preach. Pastor, if you haven't preached on this, uh, on this portion of scripture, this would be a good one to make a sermon on. So the first thing here is that uh, that the prayers of the church are powerful. They are powerful. God begins to send angels into the prison to free Peter. Um, there's another truth here is that there are constantly, there are always people bound in chains. Chains of addiction, chains of family problems, chains of... Chains of uh, marriage and divorce and chains of, uh, you know, family problems, and, uh, sins and so many, uh, so many chains, just like Peter was bound in chains. And what is, what is the church's response? Uh, it's not another program. Uh, they prayed. They prayed for Peter. What's also interesting here is that God answers their prayers, but they don't expect to see Peter at the front door. <laughs> I love this scripture because the answer to their prayer is literally knocking on their door and they refuse to see him. A girl sees him, but she did not open the gate. He's left out there standing at the gate. Verse 15, but they said to, oops, don't you hate that when you turn two pages instead of one? But they said to her, you are beside yourself. You're crazy. You're crazy. How could you actually see the answer to our prayers. <laughs> I kind of feel like that uh, as we've gotten into this new building uh, over the last few months. Uh, you know, it's, it's like, what, what did we expect? Shouldn't we expect God to answer our prayers? And <laughs> But still, when it happens, it's like mind-blowing, right? Uh, so she kept insisting that it was so. They said, it is his angel. Oh, now they get they get spiritual. Oh, dear, you're just, you know, you're just seeing a a ghost of Peter. It's not really him. But Peter continued knocking. How many understand uh, uh, ghosts don't continue knocking on the door? And when they opened the door, they saw him. They were astonished. But motioning to them with his hand to keep silent, they declared uh, to them how the Lord had brought him up out of the prison. And he said, go tell these things to James and the brethren. And he departed and went to another place. Then soon uh, as it was day, there was no small stir among the soldiers about what had become of Peter. But when Herod searched for him and not found him, he examined the grounds and commanded that they should be put to death. And he went down from Judea to Caesarea and stayed there. Uh, unfortunately, Herod is about to meet his untimely demise. Ugh, that's a, a scary story. So, uh, we're going to close it up for today. I uh, hope you all have a wonderful Wednesday. And I want to encourage you, uh, we have a midweek recharge service tonight at 7 p.m. Eastern Time. So wherever you're watching this from, we hope that, first of all, that you be able to join us in our service. We are still practicing our social distancing. We're still checking people's temperatures as they come in the door. We are asking people to wear masks and uh, cleaning surfaces at our, at our church just to, uh, just to be sure that all is well. 
Um, so we want to invite you to come. Uh, prayer will be at 6 p.m. I wonder how many people could be could be set free from their chains if God's people would pray. Uh, would you join us at 6 p.m. for prayer? 7 o'clock the service will begin. We call it our midweek recharge service. And guess what? For all of you who are not here, uh, we're live streaming. So please don't skip your church service. But if you're not already going someplace, uh, please come and join us. And it would be a great opportunity. I'll just... Uh, throw in one more link here if you want to join the Bible reading plan. The rest of the scriptures for today, Psalm 136 and Proverbs 17, 14 and 15. All right, guys, that's been another edition of Bible and Brew. We'll see you tomorrow. God bless.